You're listening to the PGA of Canada Professional Development Podcast, helping you make progress as a teacher, coach, and business owner. Hey, my name is Cordy Walker, and I am your host for today. I'm really excited to be here as we're putting together a series of episodes for you to hopefully spark some inspiration and growth in your business, your teaching, and coaching. Today, we're sitting down with Jeff Overholt of Golf Performance Coaches. We're going to take a look at how they use winter camps as an incredible coaching tool and what some of their best tips are to help students see the biggest breakthroughs. We'll also take a look at the practical side of getting kids out of the country, flights, accommodation, all that good stuff. I want to introduce myself quickly as this is the first episode that I'm hosting here with PGA of Canada. Really excited to be here. Uh, I've spent the past five years working with golf instructors at golfinthelifeof.com and now spend most of my time helping to share research-based education around learning performance in the golf swing at the Golf Science Lab. My goal with this episode and all of this series is to tease out some of the essential practices and mindsets from our guests around different topics that are practical enough for you to go out and implement tomorrow. All right, Jeff Overholt, let's get into it. So if people don't know you, uh, let's just start with a a quick background so we can kind of understand who you are and kind of who your students are and what your business is uh, before we get to today's main topic. Well, Cordy, I am a a PGA of Canada Class A member and golf coach. I run a business with uh, another fellow PGA of Canada member, John Roy, and we run a company called Golf Performance Coaches. And uh, we really try to specialize in junior golf development. I've had some uh, future time from an educational standpoint in human kinetics, and I really tried to kind of gear a lot of what I did with my education towards youth athlete development, and we really try to cater towards kids. Um, we provide programming that's really kind of year-long based. We create programs around semesters, uh, more long-term based, and uh, really geared at the competitive player that's between the age of roughly about 10 and 17. That being said, we do offer coaching for adult players that are, are really sort of more passionate competing at either sort of their club level or a local level as well and really try to provide a very holistic uh, coaching support to these athletes uh, whether it be taking care of what they're doing with their bodies or their technique or their minds and spending time with them around tactical play and that sort of thing and then have really in the last couple of years started to mentor other coaches we take on a number of new pga members and try to help show them a possibility that uh, they might not have other seen as a full-time golf coach. So you're obviously working with uh, a lot of juniors. Is, is that's your big focus here. So not surprisingly, that's where we're going to start this conversation. And we're focusing in on winter camps that you do, because I've heard that you do those really well. You have some unique things around those beyond just hitting balls on the range down in Florida. So I, I guess to start this conversation off, just describe your winter camps. Like, what, what do we have going on? Yeah, um, Cordy, we've done winter getaway camps for uh, as long as I remember. Uh, one of the reasons, because of our climate up here in uh, Toronto, Canada, doesn't allow our players to get lots of time off of grass in the winter months. So really, our, our camps are mainly full week 
programs. So somewhere between seven to nine days long, depending on the given year. And we really take a, a group of our competitive players down south. So we have done some in Florida. And most recently, we've started to go to Myrtle Beach as well. And really what these camps look like are full immersion experiences for the players where they get to spend certain number of hours each day two to three hours working on their skills and more of a practice type environment and then playing golf each day being able to help sort of transfer what they've been practicing out to out to play and it really provides them the kind of the best experience to prepare for their competitive season so our our main winter camp is done on the march break week uh which typically is in about the middle of march and most of our players had spent five or six months training indoors, working on their technique and their bodies, and uh, with very little time seeing the ball fly a full distance, hitting short game shots off of actual grass, and and actually playing golf. So this week helps them to really kind of test their skills, get a better understanding of where their game is at going into the outdoor season, and also kind of helps to refine. We, we have another three to four weeks sort of time period between the March break and when we truly get outside uh, where we are to really hone what they need to be doing coming out of the camp. So that's just a a quick little overview on kind of what it looks like. Uh, We stay with the players. That's one of the big things that we really feel passionate about is uh, having the players in an environment where they're sort of free to to be themselves, interact with other kids, and, and really have them all day long. So part of our camps is that the families really leave their kids with us for the week, which for some families uh, might be a bit of a shift for them. And most of the players that go on these camps have been with us for a number of years. So there's a, um, a trust that's kind of been developed there to allow families to just leave their kids with us for a period of time. But that that's one of the biggest things that uh, we've really found that the the relationships and the experience are, are really the things that the kids take away or tell us about these experiences with these camps, as opposed to sort of the content of them, which the content is obviously an important piece as well. But the thing that they really kind of take away from them is is more the experiences. A full immersion experience. I like that word. I like the. I like your description of that. If I was a parent and you were trying to convince me to send my kid to one of these camps, what's the pitch? Like, what what is it? What does this look like? Where where's my kid staying? What what golf courses he got? Like, you know, like what are some of these things? Or what do you say to parents who you're trying to trying to convince them to let their kids kids go on one of these? Yeah. A little bit of the the where depends on kind of the given year, but uh, most recently what we've done in, in Myrtle Beach is we've had some great success with, with really renting out a big beach house for the kids to stay in. So we, we essentially have this year we had roughly about 14 players and we had everybody stay in, in one spot. So it makes it very easy for the coaches to kind of control the environment, which which we'll talk about is kind of one of one of the big pieces with running these camps successfully. So that would be kind of where they stay. And then the full day, as I kind of mentioned before, is surrounding them training their golf skills. So the pitch to the, the really the families, Cordy, is, is around here's a really good opportunity for the kids prior to their competitive season to really develop skills that we haven't been able to develop for the past six months that are very, very important in terms of their success of the, over the competitive season. So 
things like, okay, our short game becomes a very, very big focus, um, different playing skills that we'll develop on the golf course in regards to how they're managing their mind, their emotions, their tactics become, again, really key skills that are a little bit trickier to train inside. So that's an opportunity where if they weren't able to go on the trip, they wouldn't really be able to have that. So it almost gives them a kind of a jump start to the season where kids that don't attend the camp typically have qualifiers that happen in late April, early May, and and have had limited time actually off of grass and and playing golf. One of the biggest things, Cordy, that that really the kids take away from this, which is kind of in line with our holistic uh, approach to developing athletes, would be self-management skills. So we're very, very passionate about kids developing what we call these positive athletic behaviors. So what comes out of these camps really is the kind of almost the I'd consider it like the space between is it is an interesting way of, of uh, categorizing how these kids learn these positive athletic behaviors. And the space between would be the times when they're most of the time actually not playing golf or, or training their golf skills, which in a, a given week isn't much because they're really at the golf course from eight or nine a.m. till pretty much dark. But that still offers a little bit of time where Kids now have a better understanding through our time with them around, okay, well, what should I put into my body in the morning, as an example? Or what should I be doing on a week like this to kind of train my body? So we'd often see kids wake up and we've got five or six of them going for a morning run out on the beach and doing a little bit of mindfulness work before they kind of get going for the day while they're starting to kind of blend a smoothie. And th- and those are things that we've found that are during an hour to two hour coaching session or practice are typically are much, much harder to get across in terms of the impact of those things for a developing athletes. So again, that, that space between is, is the stuff that many of the kids and families tell us what they really love about the camp and, and really the relationships that they build with not only the coaches, which is a, a massive thing from our standpoint that we get to spend pretty much 16 hours a day with them over an eight or a nine day period. So the amount of contact time that we get with the players over that week is almost, you know, the the same amount over a six or a seven month period if they're seeing us three to four hours a week. So that contact time is another piece that when speaking to a, a parent about it and, and getting them to understand they're staying with us, we're really going to be spending pretty much every waking hour with your son or daughter. It becomes a very, very easy sell from that standpoint as well. So it's almost like you give these kids uh, what a lifestyle of an athlete is is kind of like, like holistically then. Almost, Cordy, like uh, very similar to almost like a, a touring pro as well. So if you've got your, you know, especially kids that are in the summer when they don't have school, most of the time they, they struggle with understanding okay, well, what do I need to do over an eight or a nine hour period if I'm going to train my golf game? And most of the kids are, are not trained at all in what we call like how to train. So that that's another really huge theme about this week is that they can kind of see how a given day should be structured in terms of how much time do I need to spend on different different skills and how much time should I be spending on the golf course versus practicing and so on and so forth. And, and that's really what we try to hold them to is when they are practicing, are they practicing in a deliberate way that's going to help, you know, improve their skills, you know, and, and we find with 
some junior golfers, it's, it's just uh, that's, that's a tricky part. They're putting in the hours, but they're not doing it in a really, really effective way. So um, that's another massive theme of the week, I would say, as well. Well, let's see if we can share with folks some some stories to maybe illustrate some of these some of these most important things you know in, in this lifestyle of an athlete or this holistic experience for the kids. Uh, you got any lined up for us that that you can share? Yeah, I guess one of the things, Cordy, that we're most proud of is is we really try to create experiences where kids have some competition or consequences tied to what they're doing. So. We've put together this positive athletic behavior games, which essentially has this very, very large Bristol board put up on the wall beside the kitchen in our beach house that has kids broken up into teams. So let's imagine we've got 16 players and we've got four teams of four. And and what we do is we outline specific behaviors that players can participate in that we know if they do them over a long run is going to really, really impact their development in the sport. So to give you a little bit of an example, let's say one of the the behaviors would be minutes of mindfulness. So anytime a player can go through sort of a guided meditation on their preferred guided meditation app, and they would log a certain amount of time, we're going to put that up on the board there. And that amount of time is going to kind of be put forth to their team which at the end of the week with all of these different habits we're going to have kind of a team that a team that wins and an individual that wins as well other things would be number of minutes of what we call cardiac output work which would be kids going for a run on the beach at a moderate intensity as an example we have another device that helps the kids kind of with their posture. We call it a posture cushion. So kids lying on that as well would be another thing where they can kind of accumulate minutes. And really what this is helping to train, Cordy, is just that they see themselves as athletes and understand that I want to be putting my energy on specific things that are really going to be helping me with my development as a golfer and also as an athlete. Again, this is another thing that outside of the camp environment is very, very, we found is very, very hard to kind of get buy-in. So very quickly with this little competition that we set up, kids start to sort of feed off one another and then they're inviting each other to go on runs in the morning and they're helping each other kind of log minutes on whatever they're doing. And because they're in a team environment, then obviously that one of the team members is kind of pushing the other and such. So that's probably, we've done that for the last kind of two to three years, and kids now come down to the camp excited to see sort of what are the, almost the events that we've got. We almost see it more similar to like, almost like a kind of decathlon type of idea. But as I said, most most of the, the real major breakthroughs or aha moments come from the kids really understanding, okay, how do I need to train? And then what are all of these kind of other things that might be a little bit outside of their their typical hitting golf balls or time on the golf course that have a massive impact on how they're going to develop as golfers. But not only from our standpoint, Cordy, we're hoping that most of the players that we work with end up achieving their dreams of potentially playing on the PGA Tour. But for most of them, that might not be the case. And all of these other habits that get developed on these camps um, just set them up for some really, really cool things in life, whatever they're going to do. So that would probably be one of the most kind of rewarding things that we find that we uh, we get out of the camp with the kids. Cool. And, and you think that that kind of idea of, of doing this off the course kind of stuff has really taken these to the next level then for you? It's massive. Cordy, I would say another really cool experience the kids have is 
we will always have a uh, kind of an evening team meeting where we sit them around kind of a big boardroom table and it allows us to talk about stuff again that just it's very hard to find sort of the time or the space in our normal training weeks to do it so for example we'll have a theme we get the big whiteboard out and we talk about concept of strokes gained and loss as an example and how that's going to be something that's really going to help guide what you're doing on the golf course for the coming days as an example things we actually had one of our old players that was actually training in Myrtle Beach this year that's on the web.com tour come and speak to the group as an example so he came and had dinner with us we had a little bit of barbecue and then he sat down and talked to the group about you know his experiences with us when he was growing up as a junior and now how he's kind of gotten to a level where he's playing professional golf it's again it's stuff like that that uh that is really really cool that kind of imprints this a uh, really cool experience of the week with the kids, you know, that again, as I, I, we kind of feel it's just trickier to trickier to implement a lot of these things on a, a normal day to day basis, you know, just because you don't see the kids as much as you've got a full day and I've got all this time training our golf skills and then all this what we call space between that also we can get a lot of cool stuff done. So you've got this off the course stuff, super, super important. Maybe share a couple ideas of what are you guys doing on the course? Like what kind of tournaments, what kind of practice, like what kind of things you do, do you do there that maybe are most unique or that you found most effective uh, over the years? So the kids, they do compete in a two-day event at the backside at the end of the week. So we have um, a local junior tour that we're affiliated with that comes down and and runs an official kind of two-day event. So most of what we do for the, the starting days are to kind of help them prepare for that event. So one of the days, Cordy, as an example, is we held the event at a golf course called TPC Myrtle Beach this year. Fantastic facility. So on Monday, we would run them through a, a practice round for the event. And that would be one of the themes to help kind of get across with kids is to say, okay, when you are running a practice round, what what does that look like? How is that different from when you were normally playing? And we feel very passionately about that most players go wrong and that they try and sort of play golf during a practice round where we believe that really their main goal in a practice round should be collect information about the golf course that's going to help you in the event. The goal is not necessarily to shoot under par in the practice round because we're, we're sort of missing that main goal to collect information. So oftentimes, you know, a player might hit one into the trees and now they're kind of punching out where we would love for them to actually go ahead and move their ball and hit a shot from where they're most likely going to be hitting it from in the competition, as opposed to hitting balls out of the trees where they might be there, but most likely they're going to have a 150 yard shot from the rough or the fairway. And we want them to experience that just as an example. So practice round is, is kind of a cool piece of the week as well that will help serve them for what they're going to do when they're in competition outside back at home. Most of our, our days, Cordy, really in terms of the golf content would be sort of in the morning spending two to three hours training their golf skills. And we were certainly love putting the kids into environments where they're going to be doing lots of sort of games, especially around sort of short game skills and such when we're working on kind of their golf skills portion, because we haven't really done much of that outside. So a lot of kind of game environments where we have a couple of kids kind of competing against each other on a given skill and then, and then trying to get as much kind of individual time with players 
helping them to kind of get their heads wrapped around or, or refining their golf swing work that they've been doing throughout the winter. So most of them come out of the camp and they've done all this work and then they, they but they haven't really seen a lot of what their ball's doing when it's flying. So much of our work is around, you know, understanding why their ball is doing what they're doing and so on and so forth and helping them just and even just getting the reps off of grass we take it for granted a little bit but they spend a lot of time hitting off of mats into domes and such up here and um just getting them comfortable with okay hitting balls off of grass becomes a really really important thing on the golf course side that's where we try to spend a little bit of time having them in a more competitive environment and then contrasting that with time where they're working on more playing skills and they're not as worried about outcomes. So for example, we'll have different holes where they have a given sort of playing intention. So that playing intention could be something around, let's say, emotional management, or it could be a playing intention around some sort of a tactical piece, getting them to understand how they can apply the strokes gain loss sort of principle on a given hole. So we really try to help them understand, and it might be nine holes of more what we call skill development work on the golf course, working on certain playing skills around their routine or emotions or that sort of thing. And then we'd kind of change the channel for the back nine and get them in sort of more of a match environment where they're going to get their ball in the hole and there's more consequences tied tied to their training. And, and again, all of the stuff leading up to our competition would be to help kind of prepare them for that little bit of a, a test at the end of the week. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Jeff Overhold. I wanted to share something with you real quick that you might be interested in. Jeff is a coach of new competitors, certified golf coach. He's gone through the program the PGA of Canada has put together here. And if you're interested in going through that yourself, make sure to check the education schedule on the website. It's a fantastic program. Highly recommend that you check it out. There are a number of them throughout the year. Make sure to check that schedule and go through the program. All right, let's get back to it. I think we have a good idea of kind of what you're doing when you take a kids down there in a winter camp, some of the things that you're doing, you know, off the golf course, on the golf course, and in some of the things that you're focused on getting across, what were some of the mistakes that you made when getting started with this? Or what are the things that have evolved over the years to help this be more effective or, or more engaging for students? Just so, you know, if, if someone's thinking about doing this, right. And like, I want to take a winter yeah. camp down, what are, what are some of the things they should either avoid or do from day one? Well, one of the things that we did, Cordy, when we got going is we had camps that had larger numbers of players. So I guess one of my recommendations would be it's a good problem to have if you have lots of people that lots of players that want to attend the camp. But it creates some larger logistical issues around things like booking tee times and transportation when we used to run camps that had, let's say, upwards of kind of 30 players attending the camp. Unless you have a facility that you're very comfortable with and they kind of know you and can provide you space for that number of individuals, um, it could, becomes really tricky. So we've now kind of made our camps a little bit smaller, which makes them a little more intimate. You still need to have enough players so that you can make some revenue on it. So 
as much as we're trying to create really cool experiences, we're also running them because they are very, very good revenue generators for us. So we found that kind of number that anywhere between kind of 12 to 16 kids is a really nice number to have, where it's very manageable in terms of some of the logistics I mentioned, and still allows you to create some pretty good revenue there. Other pieces would be, we've gotten into purchasing the food for the kids and actually having going to Costco and just getting all the food for the week and keeping them in the condo. So that's where the the condo idea becomes really nice because you have a kitchen there and lots of space to be able to make food there, which provides kids way better options. We In the beginning, we've had camps where we ran where the kids stayed in hotels, where essentially then all of your meals are out, which again runs your F&B expenses up and then also doesn't provide kids really, really good options in terms of proper nutrition and such as well. So the, the meals would be another kind of key one there. Being very sensitive to cost would be another side of it. The, the away camps are a fairly costly um, trip for the family. So, so this year, our trip was roughly around $2,200 US, which for most families is a fairly large expense. So we've even started to look at running camps in different areas to help reduce those costs. So we were spending some time in Orlando and, and realized that maybe if we ran a couple camps in Myrtle Beach, that might cut the cost a little in terms of golf facilities and so on and so forth, and also offer families an opportunity to drive down which again, now we're, they're kind of saving on the flights and such, um, which is one other thing that we've very quickly found is that we had in the initial, uh, our initial camps, kids traveling with coaches down. And, and what we've found is we started to become travel agents really quickly, which we didn't enjoy as much because people were, were kind of requesting different flight options because they wanted to spend the second week of their March break uh, with their families in Florida, let's say, and they wanted to have a flight that went from Myrtle Beach to Florida coming back where the rest of the group was going from Myrtle Beach back to Toronto as an example. So what we've done over the last couple of years is, is we've separated out all of the travel. So the cost that I had mentioned really just takes care of their all their golf, all their coaching, all of their food, and then their accommodations. But they are responsible for getting down there on their own. That being said, we really try to support them with trying to connect the families together so that players that are on the camp can essentially travel together. Whether it be if there's a family driving down, that there might be two to three players in that car that's coming down, or else if there's players on a given flight that there's a couple of the players on the same flight together as well. So we don't completely leave them out to dry with the, with the travel, but we've just found it's much more logistically simple when the kids can just go on and we'll recommend some flights and, and they can go ahead and, and book it or find their own way. And then if they want to go somewhere else on the way back, then, then they can do that as well. Um, so those Cordy would be a couple of, I guess some of the, the faults or mistakes to kind of be aware of that we kind of learned about organically as we've been doing these camps. Yeah, the the flight idea sounds really smart. That could get really painful really quickly, I feel like, trying to book flights for 16 different kids. That does not 
sound like a good time. Um, so I, do you then try to like all fly together? Like, are you chaperoning just cause, I mean, logistically, right? Like you guys are taking kids internationally here. Like, what are some of those logistics like? Is that hard? Is that easy? Do parents, are they difficult with that? Or like, how does that go? No, overall, it's it's surprisingly you, you would think that sort of just sending your your son or daughter on a flight on their own uh, is sometimes parents might be a little bit against that. But we haven't had many issues with it because of the fact now that they're really kind of getting dropped off at the airport and and kids can get managed around pretty easily getting on the appropriate flight. And we're picking them up right from the other side as well. Most of the families have been okay with that. We've obviously from a coaching standpoint found we we've actually started to not travel with the kids. So we may, we might be on a flight and we might suggest that to some of the families to say, Hey, this is when the coaching staff is traveling down. And we typically get, you know, two to three kids that travel down with us and then the, the others just kind of make their own plan. So, it, it does help us a little bit too, just in terms of that, especially on the way back, Cordy, after, I guess the other thing I would say about these weeks are from a coaching standpoint, by far, they're the most rewarding times that we will have in a given year. That being said, they're also some of the most tiring times because you're literally on for pretty much all of the day because you're responsible for the kids because you're with them and such. So from a travel standpoint, especially on the way home, we don't mind so much not necessarily traveling back with the kids just because it gives us a little bit of a little bit of time to kind of unwind a bit there. Some logistical stuff around coming across the border is if kids are traveling with other families, they need to have some consent forms taken care of that when they're crossing the border that they are they have a form that says that I'm okay with traveling with this other family. That's a, that's a really, really important one. So we provide them some documentation that they just fill out and the kids have this paperwork in their hand as they're crossing the border to give to, kind of to the border guards. But that's really sort of logistically the only thing that we sort of need to prepare for and such. The, the other thing, I guess, is really making sure that that – Safety and rules becomes one of the, the really key things that coaches have to check off here that camps like this can go not quite as smoothly if they don't if the coaches don't design a very kind of structured environment. That being said, we provide the kids maximum freedom within it. But as an example, just understanding that with the kids, okay, this is when you need to go to bed, this is when we're waking up, this is exactly when the vans are leaving. We want you guys to be five minutes early, so we're not coming to get you, as an example. The team environment that we I chatted about before, understanding that Team A on Monday is going to be cleaning up the kitchen at the end of the night. It's just small things like that that go a really long way because – if you've got a condo with 16 kids and the kitchen's messy and the place is a bit of a disaster, it makes the week much more harder just to get what we need done. So those would be a couple of the things, I guess, logistically to, to be aware of there. But otherwise, we've had some pretty good success and not a lot of barriers traveling down. The, the X factor of Bitcordy with the travel becomes the weather. That That's a little bit of the other side as well, that sometimes because we're traveling from Toronto down to the US, you can get some some weather that that might kind of delay things a little bit, whether it be a flight or, you know, kids that are driving down that becomes a little bit trickier as well. It's stuff that we can't really control. But 
It's just a, a kind of a nature of the beast that you've just got to be aware of. As well, one of the things this year that, that we ran into, which we haven't really, is we had a fairly cold week in Myrtle Beach where we just happened to have one of the colder weeks of the year in the U.S. So going further south, whereas in Orlando, you're a little safer in terms of the weather. That being said, they sort of had a cold spell at the same time as well. But um, it didn't hinder from the kids' experiences at all, other than the fact they had a couple more layers on. Is there anything else that we've missed? You know, we're talking to someone that maybe hasn't done a winter camp like this before and they're thinking about doing it. Is there any anything else, any other questions they might have about it? I'd say, Cordy, like the, the coaching staff is, is huge as well. I, I really think that we found that the more coaches that are around make it that much better. So as an example, this year we had essentially myself and my business partner as kind of our lead coaches. And then we had two sort of assistant coaches with us. One of them was one of our an entry PGA member that, that a camp like this provides such a good opportunity for development of other coaches. So as, as a little bit of a side there, but making sure that, you know, the coaches that are going down that you've got to be comfortable with being really good planning out logistics, I would say that would be skill one. Uh, having lots of patience, because again, you're with a group of uh, teenage golfers that are sort of almost, we'd call it like let go into the wild uh, in some capacities, because some of them may not have really spent it expended, extended periods of time away from their parents. That provides some interesting challenges in itself, depending on the type of player that is coming down on that camp. So we really try to ensure that who we're bringing down on the camp, we have a really good understanding of what their habits are like and who they are as people. Because otherwise, a cancer of a week like this is if you just have one or two kids that might not be so into the structure of the camp and sort of following the specific rules that are outlined, just start to wreak havoc on other players as well. So really, really good coaching staff is a key one. And then making sure understanding who they're bringing down would be another really key point as well. And and you might have to say to some players that you're working with, you know, unfortunately at this time, you guys, you're not suited for a camp like this, but here are kind of some of the habits that we want you to kind of train so that you're kind of going to be prepared for that. So kids have got to be able to make their own lunches and make their breakfast and make their bed and such, which goes back to really this kind of management of of themselves becomes a really large theme of the week that uh, sometimes is really hard to quantify. So do you only invite certain players to the camp and not just advertise it out and blast it out to everybody? Or how does that work? We do a bit of both. So our, our kids that are in our full year competitive program are, are sort of the base of it. And then depending on how signups are going it's it's an optional service for them so they don't because they're in our competitive programs it doesn't mean they have to come down to our march break camp but they always know it's kind of offered there for them so depending on how many kids were starting to get registered then we'll start to blast it out a little bit more to the public with sort of the caveat of can we meet your son or daughter? Thanks for your interest in it and so on and so forth. And then maybe having a couple coaching sessions with them before so that we just kind of gauge their suitability with some of the other players. It's important as well, Cordy, I would say to have 
players of fairly similar skill levels within reason. I mean, they don't need to be exactly the same, but it's it's trickier to run camps like this if you have kids that are at different skill levels, uh, especially in terms of designing some of the skill development stuff and then also sort of the on-course play that we want to have the ability for most players to really be able to play with anybody. That being said, I would say like our, our younger players, which might be 13, 14, kind of grade eight age up until kind of grade 12 upper end of high school is typically the kids that attend the camp where you can still have a very strong younger player that again gets a ton out of a week like this because again they can observe and watch what a lot of the older kids are doing not only in terms of their golf training and how they practice and so on and so forth but also how they manage themselves when they're at dinner or whatever it may be as well that's a huge benefit for some of the younger players amazing this has been awesome jeff i I think that we've covered a lot of ground here people have a a bit of an idea of what your camp kind of looks like some of the ways that you go about uh, getting students into it some of the things to to start doing from day one or not to do and and then some of the logistics i i can't think of anything more i think we've given people a good framework here to get started and launch one of these out next winter any final thoughts from you or uh, should we call it call it a day no i i i think uh i i would truly encourage any uh pga coach to to start doing these in in some capacity and it might be even starting it off smaller where they're taking kids away in more of the spring season where maybe they don't have to travel as far but but we truly feel that this is a very very big part of our program that provides kids and families an op- a wonderful opportunity again to develop them the kids as athletes get a really really strong week of training leading into the competitive season that again gives them a massive advantage over other kids they're competing against that aren't going to a camp like this because they just don't get that same amount of time hitting balls off of grass and and playing golf leading up into the golf season. So uh, much like most things, I would just kind of start getting their feet wet into it. And, um, and, and myself and my business partner, John Roy would be more than happy to spend time with, with anybody who's, uh, has some interest in this and looking to get a little more information in terms of what our budgets look like and some more of the logistical pieces. Um, we'd be more than happy to help them out. Cool. And, and how would people get in touch with you or where can they check out more about y'all? Yeah, I, I guess the easiest would be sort of uh, email, Jeff at golfperformancecoaches.com. Our website is golfperformancecoaches.com. Um, and we've got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram as well. Golf Performance Coaches are the best ways to kind of check out a lot of what we did. One of the other cool things, Cordy, just to kind of finish up, yeah. um, we created a, a hashtag for our last camp. And it's hashtag GPC Camp. 2017 and and what we did was we provide that was actually one of the events on our positive athletic behavior board where kids would get points if they posted a cool picture of some of their training throughout the week so and and what it really did was also we were able to use that to allow parents to kind of follow along what we were doing so it kind of did a couple different purposes where it helped to promote what we were doing in terms of the camp, but also helping parents and families kind of stay plugged in a little bit. So that that for any coaches that are really interested in getting a deeper look around what we did, we did lots of different posts on social media around the camp, videos of 
Coach John and myself presenting uh, both to uh, the kids. And we also this year ran kind of an adult camp that we did on the front side, which I, I kind of forgot to mention. It was a really, really big piece around the revenue generation. So adding in a three-day adult camp that we do, the, the design of it is exactly the same as what we did with the kids, but brought them in for the three days before before the kids came in was was a huge revenue booster for us because of the fact that we were already going to be down there so there wasn't any additional expenses to get coaches down there it was really just the expenses were the facilities and that sort of thing so yeah some of our social media would be a really good way to take a look more around sort of the ins and outs of what I described. Awesome. We'll make sure to link that up and, and check out that hashtag. Uh, that'll be cool. I'll make sure to go take a look at that. And um, yeah, your website, people can head over there, send you an email if they have any questions. Highly encouraging. I think you said something really smart. Maybe for your first one, go a bit later in the year and go not so far away. I think that was a, a really wise first step there that you mentioned for people to potentially take this into action. But I appreciate it, Jeff. This has been fantastic. Thanks, man. Awesome. Thanks, Cordy. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have any questions for Jeff, make sure to reach out to him uh, and do what it takes to implement what you learned here today. Big thanks to Jeff for joining us and talking about what's working for his business and his students. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all next week here on the PGA of Canada podcast. 